Alright, CNFers, you know what time it is. This is CNF, the creative nonfiction podcast where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories, how they became who they are, what they're working on, and how they go about the work. I'm your host, Brendan O'Mara. Hey, hey. This is a milestone episode. Many miles and many stones. Number 200. Can you believe that? Some of you OG CNFers will be like, holy shit, that's a lot of episodes, and you better believe it. It's an overwhelming backlog, but what do you expect? So, we had to go big for this one. 200. And did we ever. Nick Flynn is here. He's a prolific author of memoir and poetry. His latest book is titled Stay. Threads, Conversations, and Collaborations. It's published by Z Books. You most likely know him as the author of Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. That book really put him on the map. It was adapted into a film titled Being Flynn. He's also the author of The Ticking is the Bomb, The Reenactments, and his most recent poetry collection, I Will Destroy You. So that's going to happen. Of course, you can connect with the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at CNF Pod and at Brendan O'Mara. Hey, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You dig it? Just subscribe. It's free. And if you're feeling really generous, like, holy shit, happy 200th episode generous, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to crack that 100 threshold. And why not? The people are there. I know you're there. You just got to go out there and do it. If you had a podcast to review, I'd review it. Head over to BrendanOmero.com for show notes and to subscribe to the monthly newsletter. Latest one went out today. Did you get it? It's got reading recommendations, riffs. Not real riffs, but, you know, riffs. And what you might have missed from the world of the podcast. First of the month, no spam. Can't beat it. Hey. How can I help you get where you need to go? If you want to get in better shape, you hire a personal trader, don't you? Yeah, it's pricey, but she holds you accountable and whips you into shape. And carpe your power, man. You got a book? You got an essay? Similarly, you can benefit from that same kind of training. That same accountability. If you're ready to level up your work, I'd be honored to serve your work, email show, creative nonfiction podcast at gmail.com, and we will start a dialogue. Nick Flynn is here, and that should be all the validation this show needs. I got to tell you, when I was recording this interview, I was appalled at how fast the time went. And even in the edit, where I sometimes get a little bored, I was floored by how engaging and fun this conversation was. Nick Flynn, at Nick underscore legit underscore Flynn on Instagram, and at underscore Nick underscore Flynn on Twitter. I met Nick at Hippocamp 2019 and tried not to be some drooling obsessed fanboy. I think I nailed it. I mean, maybe I... Yeah, I think I did. His work makes me want to go out and do good work, and maybe that's the best compliment we can pay people we admire, right? So let's give Nick Flynn a huge CNF and welcome. Ref.
a time, but uh, do you teach uh, out of Brooklyn? Oh, still, still Houston. No, still Houston. I've okay. been in Houston for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, full-time faculty there, so. Oh, cool. In Houston, but I, I teach one semester a year in Houston, so. Very nice. So I teach in the spring. This is this is my teaching semester, but it got kind of derailed a bit. But we, you know, we rallied, and uh, uh, you know, the, the the semester ended ended well, really, like as well as could be expected in this moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what uh, and do you teach uh, creative writing or poetry or nonfiction? Like what what uh, what's your expertise there? I'm there. I'm there as a. Uh, uh, as a poet, I'm hired as a, in the, you know, the creative writing faculty mm-hmm. as a poet, but I've taught, you know, we had it, we had a nonfiction line for a while, for a few years, but then just for funding issues, we, we stopped that. So I, I, but I do teach, I still, there's still students interested in, in nonfiction, obviously, and know that I do it. So I do work with them usually one-on-one or, uh, or one of my, uh, classes that I teach since the beginning has been in the, uh, uh, interdisciplinary class. Uh, so I teach out of the, often out of the art departments. And so I have like artists in the class and dancers and theater people and, you know, whoever, but I, I tend to shape it more for the writers. So I, I get more writers and, and more of the, the PhD or the graduate student writers. So, yeah, but we also are, are in there with other people who are interested in language in some way. So, uh, yeah, so some of those people are doing more nonfiction stuff or they, they just get, they get to move around, do whatever they want to really when they're in my workshop. So. That's cool. And yeah. do you, do you find that teaching is uh is nourishing to your own writing and your own writing process? I mean, well, quite uh, literally nourishing. Just in, or maybe not literally. That might be the wrong word. But uh, uh, just in that I write with them. Like we often do writing exercises in workshop, uh, and uh, uh, and I'll, and I'll write with them. So sometimes, usually, my semester that I'm teaching, that'll be the only writing I'll do. Also, hmm. is working on exercises I've given them. Uh, you know, and then maybe something comes out of that that it will end up one day in a book or not. But it's just sort of to keep my to keep me writing also. What do you find is uh is the most effective exercise that you've given given your students, but also taken part in yourself that really kind of uh you know uh you know grease greases the gears so to speak and leads to leads to uh, productive work. Well, it's not like a specific like exercise, just sort of the structure of the exercises. Mm-hmm. I, I always have them uh, meditate uh, beforehand. We all meditate before we write. So, you know, we'll have some discussion. We'll read a poem. We'll talk about, we'll look at a piece of art, you know, look at a clip of film or something. And then we'll, uh, you know, something will come out of that. And usually it's, it's, it, it comes out of the work they're already doing. So they'll usually extract a bit of language from something they've already been working on and put that on a blank piece of paper. Uh, and then we'll meditate and then we'll write sort of into that, into that. So it's a, it's a way to sort of grow what they've already been doing. So that, that's the basic, the basic formula for it. We and meditate it, for seven minutes. We meditate for seven minutes and we write for seven minutes. Uh, it, it just seems like a nice balance. So like, and then we talk, we, we bring it back and talk. So in like 20 minutes, you get like a nice sort of intense bit of writing done. How did you arrive at the the meditating as part of the writing practice? Well, it, it was always, uh, I mean, I, I've had a meditation practice for a while. Uh, and about 10 years ago, I taught at, uh, maybe 12 years ago now at a, a place I'd be teaching at very soon, uh, the Omega Institute, which is in upstate New York, very sort of, uh, center for holistic 
uh, learning, I think they say, call it. Um, it's very new agey. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't very new agey when I first got there, but it, it's, there's a lot of things there that I, I respond to. I, I, and I, one of them was I met a meditation teacher there, Thich Nhat Hanh. I worked with him for like, you know, many years. O- over the years, I'd, I'd take workshops with him and, and his group of, of monks. Uh, and at a certain point, when I was asked to teach there, back at the Omega Center after, you know, after I'd actually, you know, been there often as a student, I realized that the day they, 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 they work you hard there. It's a new agey place that you, you end up working like all day long. You work like three hours in the morning and then three hours in the afternoon, which is much, usually if you're teaching for a week, you teach three hours a day. This is like double that. So to fill all those hours, I, I realized like I could, you know, there was a very new agey place. I could just incorporate the meditation that I already do in my writing practice and see how it goes. And I, I just presented it one morning and, and the first morning I said, okay, we're going to try to meditate before we write. And they were all game because they were already at this sort of new agey place. And uh, we did that for the first couple of days. And the third day I didn't do it. I just sort of got into some other thing. And they were like, wait a minute, we, we have to meditate before we write. They had already gotten like used to it because it does do something. It really changes your writing. Like it gets, it gets you to the, into the subconscious realm like like uh you know rocket fuel or something so uh now i just now i just do it any class i teach i just do it i just i can't really imagine not doing it actually it doesn't make any sense for me not to do it so oh so we all we all do it and i don't teach i don't teach meditation i just say like you know all i know all i can say about meditation is just to maybe uh you know sit up straight uh put your feet in the ground and uh have a small smile a slight smile on your face that's all i say you know and then just seven minutes do whatever because there's all different types of meditation where you empty your mind or you focus on a mantra or you watch your thoughts go past. I mean, there's different schools of meditation. They can do whatever they want to do. They can just – seven minutes of sitting quietly is going to change you actually. So Yeah, that's great. I, th- I think that's something I could benefit from and incorporate just into my own, my own uh, daily rhythm just as a way to kind of – tamp down some mm-hmm. some of that monkey brain and hopefully like settle yeah. in settle in a bit better and be a bit more you know just yeah. calm i actually i actually think it's like usually what i'm doing it i think like this is actually the most significant thing i'm having them do as artists <laughs> like not the writing not talking about their writing not like the you know even peer you know talking to each other about their writing not sharing their writing uh this what we're doing right now which is seemingly nothing is the most significant thing you're doing for your writing. Hmm. I really think that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, something I was thinking about when, when I was, uh, you know, re- you know, rereading a lot of, a lot of your work and, and, uh, what I found, uh, particularly, um, refreshing, if you will, is that as, as a writer yourself and, uh, becoming a, a writer of, uh, of prominence in the nonfiction circles for sure. And certainly in the poetry circles too, you know, you're a, a relative late bloomer, and it's, uh, I think that's really important for a lot of people. I think uh, maybe your first memoir didn't come out till you were in your early 40s, maybe when you were 40. And um, Exactly. My first book of poems came out when I was 40. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that even predates yeah. uh, Suck City. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I like that. I, I think a lot of people beat themselves up for not accomplishing something before they're 30 or something. So I think to see someone like yourself, you know, have this level of success and prominence and publication and, 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 uh, and look up to you in a lot of ways. It's, it's encouraging, I think, to the artists out there that, yeah, you're not, you're not toast if you don't publish something by the time you're, you know, 25 or 30 years old. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was a very, you know, I was not fast out of the gate at all. You know, I wasn't a prodigy or, or anything. Um, I, um, yeah, I mean, my first, like, you know, in my twenties, uh, there's also a level of persistence. In my twenties, I applied ten times, like every year, all through my twenties, I applied for one grant uh, at a place called the Fine Arts Work Center. You probably know this in Provincetown. Um, it's a residency for emerging artists. I just knew about it because I lived in Provincetown, and I just thought, like, wow, that's like that's an amazing. They give you a place to live for the winter. And I, I never knew where I was going to live that winter because I'd be living on a boat in the summer, and I have to figure out where to live in the winter. And it's just like, wow, I could just stay here through the winter, and they give me an apartment and give me a check every month, and I could just work on my writing. So I applied for every year for ten years, got rejected every year for ten years, and then I finally got it when I was thirty. I think I was. 30, at least, yeah, maybe 31. Um, yeah, so, so uh, I mean, a lot of that is like, you know, a lot of my younger, you know, my students or even, you know, even workshops if I have older students, you know, I'll, I'll just say like, you just, uh, it's really important to, to just keep at it, just keep applying. Not, it's not about whether you get it or not, but just like, just to keep doing it. Uh, you know, every year I'd write new things. I'd be embarrassed of the stuff I had sent the year before. I didn't know who the judges were. I didn't really follow it that closely. And I just assumed I saw, I heard once I had heard that Carolyn Forche was a judge and I really loved her work. And I just assumed she was the judge every year, which wasn't true at all. She was like the judge probably once, but I just, I did, I never really looked at the letter that closely. I just assumed that she would read my work and just that to know that she had read my work was enough to keep me going. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but it took 10 times, you know, 10 times. They must have been like, you know, and, and I realized that there, there are a lot of the same people on the jury because I've been on that jury now since. And we we remembered if somebody had applied the year before or you'd applied like a couple years before, we'd say, yeah, this person applied before. We'd pull out their old thing. We'd look at it. We'd say like, wait a minute, they their poems have really grown or they or wow, they, they submitted the exact same thing five years ago. That's pretty sad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what have they done in the last five years? You know, that's like, that's really, that's, that's distressing, you know, but to see someone who's actually, I mean, my stuff would be completely different every year. It wasn't any good until it got better. It got a little better. It wasn't even, it wasn't even great when I, you know, I still took me 10 more years to get a book to come out, you know? So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so important, the persistence of it. And what, what fueled you during those years of rejection? And, you know, what, what gave you the confidence to keep, to keep going? It wasn't really confidence. I mean, I, just like I, I was writing and I, I didn't really imagine it. I didn't imagine myself being, uh, you know, uh, getting to publish or going to grad school or anything. I, you know, I, I, I just, I wrote and I just knew there was this one place in town and slowly I would, I would sort of slowly get into like the literary world. Cause I would talk to other writers and we'd maybe take a workshop together or we'd like have a little writing group or we'd go to readings and maybe I think I might've done a couple of readings or something. Um, it, there wasn't a whole lot of like, uh, uh, what, what did you say? What was the word you used? Uh, I guess just the confidence to kind of put that fuel in your tank to and yeah, there, was no there was no confidence. Yeah, there's no confidence and no fuel. There was no. It was just sort of what yeah. I was doing. I just like liked her. There was nothing. I didn't expect anything from it. I didn't expect anything to come from it. It's just sort of yeah. But I also liked other things then too. I liked I liked you know you know getting fucked up a lot then. I liked going to hear music. I liked you know taking photographs. I mean I was I was in my twenties and I was just you know I was working with the homeless. I was there were a lot of things going on, and writing was one of them. And at a certain point. Uh, it just became more focused. Like in my thirties, I, I, you know, I quit drinking and I, uh, 
didn't go to as many rock shows. I ended up, you know, to as many punk shows. I ended up going to poetry readings. Uh, it just sort of became a little more the life, you know, it, which is the good part and the bad part about getting older. You sort of, you, the, the synapses get limited, you know, you're not as open to everything, you know, which is why like children are so amazing. They can like, you know, put a lot of things together because you know, everything is brand new to them. Me, I was like, yeah, I'm, I've, I've done like, I've gone to like clubs every night for like the last 10 years. I, I, I'll try something else, hmm. you know, so I just, you know, didn't do that as much. Yeah. And I, I, I read too, and, um, and one of the conversations in, in stay, you, um, you know, you, you, uh, in one of the interviews, you say how important uh, a writing group was and that nothing, uh, gets created by one individual. And I, I really like that. And, uh, like so to what do you, you know, to what do you owe, you know, your writing, uh, to the people that you share it with and the groups you've been a part of? Oh, I mean, everything, it's, it's all collaborative. I think it's, I do, I do believe that that nothing's you know created in a vacuum, and this the whole thing of the the heroic artist is kind of bullshit. And mm-hmm. um, I think we're all just helping each other and learning from each other, and and uh, you know giving people support where we can or criticism where it's you know helpful, or um, and just inspiring each other just by you know what we read and just by their energy uh, that's around them. So it's you know I wouldn't say it's just the writing groups which were which were. You know, I had a major, a main writing group for like, I went to, I ended up going to the Fine Arts Work Center, like in my early thirties, when I was 32, I got to, went to grad school for two years uh, at NYU. And after grad school, I formed a writing group that we met every once a week for many years. Like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say 10 years, but like eight years or seven years um, in New York, which is amazing. You know, there's no one else I saw every week. Uh, you know, even like you're, you don't even see your, your, if you're married, you don't even see your wife every week. Like, I mean, you just, <laughs> you know, it's hard to see people in, in New York, you know? And, uh, uh, but we, we, I just made a commitment that I was going to do that once a week. And it was really, really essential. Um, and yeah, I, 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 all those, all that work sort of came about, you know, because of having a community and, uh, uh, discussions that came out of it. And, and a lot of people, you know, most of the people in that group also published work and ended up doing, continuing on if, if that's their path, you know, so. I love this quote, uh, that you, from David Mamet that you, that you cite that, um, that says artists don't wonder what's it good for. They, they aren't driven to create art or to help people or to make money. They are driven to lessen the burdens of the unbearable disparity between their conscious and unconscious minds, and so to achieve peace. I, I, I love the yeah. sentiment of that. And when you stumbled across that, like what uh, what lightning bolts went off inside your head when you came across that David Mamet quote? You know, well, that's that's from you know his his great and frustrating book, the the three uses of the knife, which is you know I, I definitely recommend to anyone. It's a, a book about structure. Uh, especially dramatic structure, him being a playwright. Uh, but he, he's he's amazing. He's amazing, but he's he's very the, the frustrating part is like he's very anti, uh, at least seemingly in that book, anti experimental uh, work, avant garde. He's just he has no time for it and just sort of dismisses it offhand, which I just seems seems a little uh, annoying to me. Uh, you know, because I think a lot comes from, I think everything comes from people pushing the boundaries of what can be done. 
uh, you know, to the extreme, like going to that edge. Uh, but his stuff about structure, about like classic structure is just beautiful. And also he's really tied into the, the subconscious realm too, which is sort of surprising for someone who's anti, who seemingly was anti, um, at least in that book, uh, anti avant-garde. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, it was, it was helpful. I was, I was also, uh, I can't remember exactly when I read that book, uh, but I've gone back to it and gone back to passages of it. And I, I teach from that book. I teach, you know, certain pages from that book, basically about the, you know, connection to the, uh, the, you know, that the, the, he also says like the conscious mind cannot create art, uh, which is also ties into why we do the meditation at the beginning of a writing workshop. I was thinking too that you know for so for so long too like um, you know as as you know when you're creating stuff or writing stuff in relative obscurity, you know oftentimes you know you're and just in general you're looking for looking for answers you're asking a lot of questions because you're kind of lost and you want to get your footing and then and then you might have like a big success like with you with uh when suck city comes out and it's just, it's this thing that puts you on the map suddenly people are now i imagine turning to you for answers and asking you questions and i suspect you still have questions yourself but it's just you're on a bit be- on a bigger stage all of a sudden what what was that like for you just to go from that relative obscurity to then all of a sudden maybe being tasked with having the answers to a lot of people who want to achieve what you've achieved? Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it's such a strange uh, transition, and um, uh, you know, I, I I learned pretty quickly that I I still <laughs> did not have the answers, you know, I st- and I still do not have the answers. I mean, I teach I teach students, but you don't have to have the answers to to be a teacher. It's it's, it's to be you know comfortable with to exist in the questions is I, I think much more important I, I don't have an answer to what anyone else should do or what anyone else's path is, uh, at all. I, I mean, I barely, I don't have an answer to what my, what I should do or, or if the path I've been on is the, the right path. It is, it's just the path. Um, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, but I, the one thing that really helped me at that time was, um, I just gotten together when another bullshit night in Suck City comes out with my now wife, uh, Lily uh, Taylor, who's uh, you know who's an actor, and she had been you know she, she had been on a big bigger stage, a big stage for a long time. Uh, when we met, she she said that like it's something very became very clear that like people that come to readings, or that come to you know hear you speak, or to, even to come to your books to like read your books. Uh, like they, they actually, they're not coming to actually learn about you. They're actually coming to learn about themselves, like to have some deeper insight into their own psyches. Uh, you know, which is the whole, which goes back to Mamet and, you know, Aristotelian, uh, you know, structures and about the uses of drama and, and catharsis. Uh, so, and she just put it that, you know, my whole role or the role of the artist is to become a scrim that others can project themselves upon. Uh, which I just thought was very beautiful. That that's you know you're actually doing a service. You're not you're not there for the glory or for the, you know whatever praise comes your way. It's it's you're you're performing a service, and it, the service is to become a scrim for others to project themselves upon. That's that is the that's the value of art, uh, and it has been for you know for a long time. It's like to have, for other people to have have an experience with it. Uh, so and, and you sort of try, you try to and I think she added to that and your your job is to try to carry that projection uh, with grace, 
uh, in some way, whatever, however you can do that. And I, you know, I did it, you know, better sometimes than other times, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's such a good point because we uh, sometimes I get, if you're writing memoir, or personal essay, you really feel like it's it's this thing for for you to you as the writer to to get out and to illustrate your you know, this thing that happened and this pain of I'm enduring and I'm going to show it to you. But like when it's done, when it's done right and done well, the, the, the work then just becomes a conduit for the, for the reader or the, the consumer to then overlay their own experience on it. And suddenly you as the writer dissolve away and then they're thinking about their relationship mm -hmm. with their father or their mother or, or their siblings and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that, that feels, you know, that feels like the best thing. Like it's, you know, that, that if that's, 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 that's what I get out of art. If I go to art and I can suddenly be immersed in that and, and, you know, somehow have some insight into my own, you know, uh, life. Uh, and, and it's also, I mean, I guess you would want to, you know, read nonfiction actually to see, you know, someone else's life too. I mean, there are obviously books, you know, that you'd read to, uh, to get insights into another life. Uh, but it also it seems to reflect back to just sort of giving us how how, how we can move through the world in in, uh, in some way. It, with uh, with a lot of your well, like ticking as the bomb and the reenactments, I, I love the the approach that you take to uh, writing and structuring them. In that in these kind of some some are longer longer passages, but oftentimes it's a very these very short snippets, and I I like that I, it's weird you would think that it would be herky-jerky but for me i kind of like i'm able to settle into the rhythm of that for some reason and uh how did you arrive at that as as a style for telling you know uh certain certain stories that that having that, that come across in uh, a yeah. few of your memoirs sure and and you know the book stay which just which you mentioned which just came out is i'm, I'm realizing is even more of that it's it's uh it's bringing together all the uh, different threads of the writing I've done over the years and, and putting it together in these short passages, right, juxtaposing it next to each other. Um, I, I was thinking about this, this the other day. Uh, somebody, a friend of mine um, told me that there's this, uh, uh, like the, I don't know if it's the world's largest, but there's like some enormous kaleidoscope nearby me here. We're, we're in upstate New York and somewhere, I think across the river, maybe in Woodstock, outside of Woodstock, there's like this enormous kaleidoscope that you can enter into and like the whole world becomes like a kaleidoscope. And I was sort of thinking this, I was just thinking about that the other day. And I, I think that is sort of part of what I strive for or what the experience is like for me, or maybe like what the experience of reality is for me, uh, is very, is, is, can be kaleidoscopic at times. Uh, and so, you know, there's these fragments, these, these little broken fragments that somehow create a pattern like when you put them together they create a pattern they're repeating these fragments are repeating but they're sort of all broken up and the, but they create this sort of uh some some kind of beauty from just the uh, how you fit them all together into one you know into one uh project yeah yeah and i, I love the you know how how stay comes together it it strikes me as this this great um to to use the term this kaleidoscopic uh kind of scrapbook of so many great passages from all your, from across all your work and then intermixed with these conversations. And of course the collages and photography that, you know, that 
that you that you've done and uh some photography from other people too uh so what was what was the inspiration for you know putting together in, in a sense kind of like a greatest hits <laughs> record in a, in a way uh in this sort of collaborative piece of work yeah um it is not just photographs of other people it's you know paintings and drawings and yeah. there's you know there's there's music and there's you know there's collages and uh there's all sorts of uh uh, you know, conceptual art pieces, Marilyn Minter's, you know, photographs of her mother. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's part of the whole process of um, working with other people and, and, and getting inspired by other people. Like these are, you know, all the people that are in the book, uh, there's a couple I haven't met, but all of them, I've, I've, most of them I've met and had some sort of relationship with. And a lot of them I've collaborated with for a long time, like over you know, for many years or that have become like deep, you know, good friends or friends that became collaborators with me. Uh, it, it's just like, a, it's just a great joy. It's like a really great joy to work with other people and to take a poem and, and, and run it through different, uh, uh, you know, all these different, uh, ways of, of, of it to exist in the world. Like what happens if it's a song? What happens if it's, it's in a film? What happens if it becomes a, a, a sculpture, a room that you enter and it's, you know, it's part of the words are dangling from the ceiling. Like it's just, it's, it, it's just really fun for me to imagine that. And then it goes back to, and then it changes the poems themselves too. Like often like the collaboration process, like an ideal collaboration process will take place while I am also, finding the poems uh and the the process itself will change the poems because they'll they'll become the collaborative process will become part of the poems themselves and i'll learn things from them so an example of that is the last book i came out with before stay was came out in the fall uh, a couple months ago called uh, i will destroy you a book of poems and all the poems in that book went through a process where i performed them with a band that uh, that I, I formed or that I'm part of, uh, called Killdeer, which is, uh, in myself, uh, Guy Barash, who's this electronics sort of, Eno type, uh, uh, guy who's a, a dear, who's become a dear friend. We've been collaborating for 12 years. My friend, Philip Marshall, who is a more of a like folk punk, uh, guitarist, singer, songwriter, uh, Simi Stone, who, who performs on her own, but also performs with David Byrne and she's part of the new pornographers. Uh, so we, we did perform these, these poems for the last five years before the book came out, like in different, like when anyone asked me to do a reading, I would say, yeah, oh, that's great. I have a band. We have to, can we do it with a band? And it would make things more complicated because suddenly there's more people and there's, there's equipment and there's gear and it's like, and, uh, but that, it just became like really part of the whole process. And, the poems all change because of it. Like the, you don't see it. It's just a book of poems. You look at the book of poems, but to me, I can hear the music in each poem that was uh, part of the creation of it. So that's cool. That's real cool. Uh, in the process of whether you're writing poems or prose, uh, where do you feel you know most alive and most engaged in the process of you know of generating the kind of work you do? Uh, I, th I think I, you know, I, I get. You know, at this point, like, I get joy out of every part of the process. Like, I used to, you know, when I was younger, like, writing was, it, uh, it somehow felt like a, you know, like, some, like, getting, putting leeches on you or something, you know, to bleed you or something. Uh, it was 
painful and difficult and you, you go into the psychic realms. I still need to do that, but I really, I sort of go to the psychic realms anyway, uh, just with, uh, you know, therapy and, and just, just that kind of work, spiritual work. Uh, so that stuff, you know, suffering is, is around us anyway. And that the writing part of it is actually, uh, quite joyful. Uh, and, and not that I'm making something of it, but there's just that I really like sitting and doing meditating and then writing and then generating like work, you know, spending two years just generating work and suddenly finding like a pattern and seeing like, Oh, this is, this is what this is about. Like, this is where I am right now in my life. And, uh, what, you know, that all the writing comes out sort of is that mirror of that, which, which I couldn't access otherwise, unless I had meditated and written, you know, I probably wouldn't have seen it. Um, then there's the revision process, which is like, you know, uh, I find actually really interesting too. It's, you know, part of it is like deep psychic work going into it and asking why, what this means and what, what is the deeper significance or how does this connect to other parts of the world, the larger world. And, uh, you know, just the, the pleasure of moving things around syntactically and trying to get it so that there's some kind of music within it in the language. Uh, yeah. And then there's, the business of it, like after the revision, there's like sort of you, you put a manuscript together, structuring a whole manuscript. And I, I, I just kind of like it all. Like I, I like I like the process of creating um, uh, this stuff at this point. So I can't say there's one part I like better than another. I think I think it's good. If, I mean, even if I didn't like it, I would say I liked it because I don't see any benefit in saying, oh, I hate revision. Like it's just mm -hmm. then you're kind of like you're kind of stuck because you got to do it all. I mean, <laughs> you, just, you don't really get out of this without revising, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people say, a lot of my students, my, my, my undergrad students are like, I, I, I just hate revision. I'm like, we're going to learn to love it because otherwise you're not a writer, you know? Like, you just, <laughs> it doesn't happen. And, and what kind of a, a discipline or a, a practice do you put around uh, your writing so you are in, so you can effectively generate generate work and get through the various uh sort of life stages of a of a manuscript or a piece of work i don't i don't really have to, that rigid a structure I, I think each project sort of seems to determine its own uh what it needs um and even like these this just this year in these 12 months i will have three books coming out which is sort of bonkers uh you know, I had one come out in September, the I Will Destroy You from Norton. Uh, I have this book, Stay, that just came out in the, you know, as, as, as the, you know, the corona swept over the country. So everything was canceled around that. So that book just came out, but I'm doing things remotely with it. And then in August, I have another book coming out, which, you know, it looks like we'll probably still be just doing things virtually then, too. Like it's, you know, uh, which is kind of rough. But um, those three books came out. And they came out of a period of where I was, if I was asked what my, what I was writing, I would say I've, I've given up, not that I've given up writing, but I'm not writing. I'm actively not writing. Uh, uh, and what I meant by that was that I just was not, I, I, I got tired of like walk, walking around for like 30 years, like always with a book in my head. Like I'm always in a project or I'm always um, translating everything I see into like, how does it fit into this project? Or, uh, you know, or I was in a book, I was just like inside the book, always like imagining the you know, things. I mean, there, there have been periods in my life where I've only had dreams where it's just pages of text turning. Uh, and I just, felt, I, I just felt like it was time not to do that. Like, and so I just actively didn't write and, and writing would come out, but it wasn't like, 
I would be able to walk away from it and not have it just sort of still be me still be in it. And I want to just see what it was like to be in the world and to be uh, uh, outside of language uh, in that way. And out of it, like all these books came out, of it, which is just sort of surprising to me. So I don't know how they came out really in some way. Um, I, I, I did, I did really, uh, uh, the book is coming out in the summer, which is called, this is, this is the night our house will catch fire. Uh, I did it in really these like really concentrated periods of writing where I just like would write for a month and then not look at it for six months and then write for a month and not look at it for six months. Um, and not think about it for six months. I would just like put it out of my head in some way. Uh, and then just get back to it and be like, you know, as if it was something I was just, just encountering for the first time. And that, that was, uh, interesting to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that a, yeah, that that uh, degree of patience is is so key, and um, a lot of people, I, I suspect, you know, they want things to 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 happen and happen fast. It's not happening fast enough, you know, I, and they get frustrated. Um, but sometimes the best thing you can do is truly, you know, unplug a bit and and step away and put things in a drawer because maybe the time isn't right. But if you have that kind of a that that discipline within yourself to, you know what, I'm going to table this thing, maybe just go watch movies for a month and then come back to the writing. And then you might come back nourished and more energized to get back to mm -hmm. the work that matters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, yeah, you know, they're not even fallow times. It's just, you're living your life and then the stuff happens there, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think John McPhee, he, he talks about how his teaching is like his fallow, period at, mm -hmm. at Princeton like he just he doesn't write when he's teaching he just does that and then over the decades you know the his summers have been the time where he's strung together a lot of long magazine pieces in his books so it's mm -hmm. like yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's it's letting the the soil you know replenish itself so it can be more more uh you know furtive but McPhee also has that crazy computer at Princeton that the, the you read that article about McPhee at Princeton yeah yeah the thing where he like just he just he has a program that's just the McPhee program and he just submits like all his writing into it and, and the book comes out the other side. Like, it's so crazy. It's like a crazy, like it's a crazy system. Like, you know, it works and you can sort of see it. It works really well, but it is like, you know, the McPhee structure is like, you can see it. I mean, it's, you know, there's a, there's sort of a unnamed like writer that just appears like this sort of narrator that comes in and doesn't really name says they're a writer or anything. Just like, just talking about some other person that's, living in, in, you know, the Pine Barrens or something or some, some interesting person and then go, then did deep dive into like deep, like, ge you know, uh, ge uh, what do you call it? Anthropological time or, uh, is that the word? Like, uh, into the whole structure of the, uh, geological time, like deep geological time. Uh, it's just interesting. And then coming back with this, like a, a, a turn on it, it's like, it's just, you can see his pieces. I love them. I love the pieces, but it's it's so wild. He has a computer that sort of can organize all, all that thought into one thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, and yeah. he's he's a he's always been a, a hero of mine. And um, I yeah. And uh, and for you, who were who were writers that as you were as you were coming up and developing your own voice that really inspired you and made you you just want to pick up the pen and be a poet and a and a writer yourself? Well, I go I go back to like you know I think what you get exposed to. Uh, you know, in your, yeah, in school and stuff is one thing. And then there's stuff you, you find on your own. Um, I mean, I did, I did a lot of reading through my, you know, I was an English major and I did like, tons of reading through my uh, 20s. Uh, I just sort of realized that there was so much I needed to read and sort of 
stylistically. But I remember very early on, like I was very moved by Baldwin, uh, you know, reading James Baldwin, uh, reading Tilly Olson. I think of those two, like like right off the bat, um, who were sort of these you know political writers that just wrote really beautifully. Also, uh, I, there's something about that it combines, and then and then also being exposed to poetry as an undergrad uh, through James Tate. I took a poetry workshop with James Tate, and he exposed me to really some amazing contemporary poets. Uh, you know, Etheridge Knight and, and uh, Charles Wright and, uh, you know, all these folks. But the big one that came out of that one was Carolyn Forche. Like her book, The Country Between Us, was like a really important book for me. Uh, and I, then I got to work with her like part 10, uh, some eight years later or something, just I, at the Omega Center, the Omega Institute, which I talked about earlier. Uh, Carolyn and I got to work together. We worked there for three years uh every year i'd go and take a workshop with her for three years i just like that was really significant uh time for me um and, and also they're, they're all they all had a political you know when i think about those if i think about those three writers i could name three other writers too i mean i could go through and say this whole you know existential uh you know thread that was hugely important for me, you know, Marguerite Dura and, and Samuel Beckett and, uh, you know, that stuff, that was a whole period, you know, Newt Thompson, uh, you know, reading all that, uh, you know, getting into, uh, other, you know, other countries, literature, reading Kobo Abe. And, uh, but I, it's interesting. The first place my mind went to was like sort of Baldwin and Tilly Olson and, and Forshag because they all have this sort of political, um, you know, this beautiful writing that's also like has this political urgency to it. So, mm. yeah, I put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love uh, talking to, to people about the things that they like to, you know, looking at your bookcase or something, the the books that you like to reread or essays that you pull down or in your case, probably, probably poems too, where you'll be like, you know, what, I need a, that little shot in the arm. So I'm going to like pull this, pull mm -hmm. this CD down. I'm going to put this track on and, and, and listen and, and get into the words of it. And, uh, you know, I just look at my case too. And there are so many that I come down. If I just need that little thing, I'm going to, oh, let me read this little, let me shotgun some leads as, uh, as, Glenn Stout might say with from best American sports writing and like just to get mm -hmm. that get that sense of how to start a good story um, what mm -hmm. are some of those things that you find yourself revisiting from time to time to kind of just uh, you know get you warmed up or to give you the inspiration a little you know a kick in the pants to to do the work you're doing well I mean I've, I've you know I, I have my students bring in any workshop I teach I have them bring in a page of writing that somehow contains some element of uh, bewilderment for them, uh, and I, did, I let them because that's my workshops are usually called like memoirs, bewilderment, or poetry as bewilderment, uh, and I just sort of leave that open to them, and they sort of bring it in, and and, and I'm just realizing, yeah, out of a workshop of like 20 people, you know, someone in one of the last workshops I taught brought in it brought in a Baldwin, and I just remembered like like the pleasure of reading that again, and just like like on this level, like like line by line, like it. it, it it just kept unfolding and turning and, uh, uh, you know, surprise. And, uh, it just, it sort of had all the energy to it. He's such a beautiful writer, uh, uh, just sentence by sentence. And it, there, there was a lot. And I, I spent, I think the whole week just talking about that one, <laughs> that one piece, uh, you know, there's one page of, of uh, uh, I think it was the fire next time. Um, 
and uh yeah so that was that was a real trip but also you know i read beckett like fairly regularly like all each one of my three memoirs before the one that's coming out this summer began with an epigraph of beckett um because he would always sort of like shake my mind up in a certain way that was i found uh uh important to sort of unsettle me and to uh so and, and you know sit and read one of his plays you know just sit for an hour it's like reading a book of poetry just sit for an hour just like absorb the whole thing uh yeah, so I, I love doing that. Uh, yeah, are you are you surprised that that over the years that the the these uh, these memoirs keep coming coming to the fore for you? Whether whether it's ticking the bomb, suck city reenactments, what, what you've got coming out this uh, this summer? It's like, it, it, could you have ever ever imagined that you know that you had one in you, let alone you know all these. All these other ones that keep unfolding before you. No, I, I mean, I, I couldn't really imagine any any books really. Like, it, I mean, it depends when when in your life, when in my life you're you're, you're talking about. Um, at a certain point, once I wrote the first memoir, I think, uh, I mean, there's a certain perverse pleasure in writing a memoir because it, it's it's sort of a, a bastardized genre. It's like a little bit of the Wild West. I mean, it's. it's filled with like, you know, charlatans and, you know, posers and, uh, you know, huge egos. And it's just like, it's a weird, it's a weird job. It doesn't have the, 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 the cachet of like, you know, that the novel has, you know, that seems like the serious thing. It's sort of a, it's, it's, there's a bit of a carnival atmosphere to it, uh, which I, which I was just attracted to. It's, it felt like you could, it was wide open. You could do whatever you could do anything. Uh, and then when I did, you know, another bullshit night in Sex City. It, it also felt, after that, I felt like well, I could do, I could do a whole nother. Like, you know, I could do a whole nother book. I didn't really think that, but I, I realized at a certain point when the book started coming together, the ticking is the bomb, that this book could be um, in a completely different register, and that the, and the character of Nick Flynn in it could be a completely different character. Uh, you know, I've often said that, like if you if you like the Nick Flynn in, in another bullshit night in Suck City, you're probably not going to like him in The Ticking is the Bomb. Because um, they're, they're different characters. They represent me at a different time in my life, a different aspect of me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then, you know, this last one, the one that's coming out this summer, uh, you know, this is the night our house will catch fire. Uh, you know, it began when my daughter turned seven. She's, you know, five years ago. Uh, uh, and... I started asking me about what what I was like when I was seven, and it's just that's that's something I haven't really I hadn't written about. I hadn't written about that time in my life, like my my you know my childhood. Uh, you know, I really hadn't written about that. So um, I just that that's where that book came from. It's like, oh, there's this whole other sort of you know self that hasn't in a period of time, period of time in American history and in my life, and you know that I hadn't I hadn't looked at, and you know I I see you know. The self is just a lens to look at other things to, through also, you know? Yeah. I don't, yeah. So. Yeah. That's yeah. uh that must have been, have you like uh, with the, with the one that's coming out, uh, you know, in get, being able to dive into your, your child, your early childhood, I imagine uh, a bit. Uh, do you find that that's really uh, exciting and energizing to be able to, uh, you know, really zoom in on one particular sort of chapter of, of your life and really kind of explode that is, do you find that really, really engaging? 
Well, I think that's what I, mean, I think that's the if there is a definition of memoir, that's what it is that that separates it from you know autobiography. It is it is taking a discrete moment of one's life and and exploding it. Uh, it's not the whole life. It's not like mm-hmm. uh, it really is like a, a period of time, and it's it's a discrete period of time. It's it's you know uh, you know this one, the new one, bounces between. Uh, me when I'm seven and also me being, you know, with my daughter when she's seven. So it does like, you know, toggle between those two. Uh, but, um, but other than that, I think that's always, I think that's, you know, if there is a, you know, I'm sure there's, there's the, the good thing about memoirs is I'm sure people can uh, show me many examples of memoirs that don't do that. Uh, but uh, that sort of seems like one of the main things. It, it's at least focused like thematically on one, aspect of one's life you know if you think about uh like dj waldy's holy land you know it's about him growing up so it's a long period of time him growing up in this you know tract housing development and it's all the but the thing that unifies it is the tract housing development it's not that you know it, it covers a long period of time but not uh uh it, it, it's thematically uh discreet mm. and what what would you identify as something that you uh, struggle with with your with your writing things that you feel like you have to overcome any shortcomings that you feel like you deal with whether it's internal or or something that other people identify in you as a, as a as a, as a weakness. Well, I think it, you know again it goes back to like the help like uh, you know I, I really like like I, I don't think it is a is a weakness but I, I don't <laughs> I don't I don't submit like. There's certain writers I, I hear, maybe like a Philip Roth or something, would just submit a manuscript, it was just done. You didn't edit it, you just like published it. And I, you know, I, I always work like very closely with an editor, with my agent now. You know, those are more like the people I work with. Um, and, and bring stuff out and read it in public uh, to get a sense of, uh, in front of like, you know, audiences, like small audiences. As I'm in process of doing stuff, I'll read passages and send things to magazines or, you know, that, and, and work with editors there to help like shape things. And, uh, so, so, I mean, it's just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a weakness. I, I think it's just how I write. I think I, I overwrite, I knowing that I'm going to get help on the way, like knowing that I want to have feedback from other people, uh, in the thing. So I, I'm sorry, that doesn't really answer your question. So it's like, I, I, I see it as a strength, but, uh, Oh yeah. 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 I guess it's just, um, it, I didn't even mean to throw weakness in there. I meant like just kind yeah. of things that you particularly, you know, that I know I, I, there are certain things I struggle with in terms of what I'm trying to get down and it's things I have to overcome or a different hat I have to pretend to wear to get over a various, uh, get over something. And it's always, I always like imp- unpacking what, what it is that various writers struggle with. Some are like, I, I just can't get leads right. I struggle with leads or it's the middle mm-hmm. of the drafts or I, mm-hmm. I'm not as good mm-hmm. at endings. I wish I was better at endings. I just not. Um, and so, yeah. the, the, so that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, I had, I had, when I wrote another bullshit night in suck city, I, uh, uh, I don't know if I had a, I mean, I had a lot of problems with that one, like that I had to figure out how to do, um, like just even like just grounding narrative connective tissue and grounding elements, just to, to, to make it clear to people like where you are, uh, in the writing, you know, all the way through it. So you, they'd sort of are located in time and time and space. Uh, in that one, in my first draft that I sent to my editor, uh, 
uh, it began with in a homeless shelter. Uh, and, you know, it sort of takes place almost, you know, a lot in the homeless shelter. And uh, after about 50 pages, my editor read and she wrote in like red ink on the side. Like she's, she was just like in desperation. She's like, I have no idea where I am. Because I sort of had only set it up at the beginning. I hadn't set up a pulse through the book where that you could keep coming back to this grounding. Like, okay, we're still in the shelter. This is where we are. This is the date. This is the how much time has passed just to sort of get that. So, so, so the reader can breathe and can, uh, and, and, and keep and relocate themselves. Uh, so, uh, that was something I had to learn. And then also in that book too, I, I, I'm still not a big fan of like dialogue in memoir really. Um, which I don't, again, I don't think it's a weakness. I just don't, I don't usually buy it when I see it in, <laughs> in memoir. Mm. Like I, I could buy it a lot more in fiction because it's, it's clearly a fiction. But if you're remembering a, a conversation you had with your mother when you were five years old, I'm like, yeah, I don't think you do. Like, uh, and so I, I, you know, intentionally put it in uh, another bullshit night city in, in play format so that uh, it would be clearly an artifice. It's clear. This is clearly a reconstruction uh, of what I, how I remember the conversation to be. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you could, I could say like, you know, dialogue is a weakness, but I, I just don't, uh, I haven't seen a lot of great dialogue in memoir actually. So I, I think it's probably better to figure out another way to do it. Mm. The, um, what was I going to say? Jeez. I hate it when I lose the, my, my train of thought sometimes. Um, oh uh, yeah. It was with a uh, respective, I, you taking your work uh, sort of on the road, and uh, it made me think of uh, how comedians work through their material, and yeah. and uh, how they build an hour, and they're like, all right, I'm going to see if this you know if this line of thinking sticks with an audience, and go and go mm -hmm. with it. So uh, I, I really love that idea of you kind of like, all right, I'm going to see how see see how this works live, and then build mm -hmm. it into something bigger. And the book is a, a book of anything could essentially be like the equivalent of a comedian's hour or 90 minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that. And also there's just some passages in the new book also that, uh, uh, that I wrote for, you know, for, for other purposes. Like I wrote them for, um, uh, a friend would ask if I could write a catalog essay for an art opening. And, uh, I'd write that. And I mean, I think there's like at least two or three, at least two of them, I think in the new book, uh, I wrote a piece for Jack Pearson, um, who's been a friend for a long time, uh, for, for a, a, a magazine piece on him. And it ended up like, but I was working on this book. And so I ended up sort of like it tied into like the book. And so I sort of took Jack out of it and there's, just, there's a ghost of Jack in that piece in the book. And then it exists in a magazine with Jack in it. Uh, and so I do do that a lot too. And there's another one, Jim Peters is another artist that uh, I wrote a piece for and, and it ended up in the book, but in a different form, like, you know, distilled. So you don't really know that it's, you know, I, I give them credit in the notes. I say like, this was originally written for, you know, this catalog for Jack Pearson or Jim Peters. What would you identify as something that you're, you're better at today than you were even, uh, even as recent as five years ago? Or, you know, you can take it back 10 years to, um, but you know, what would you identify as something you're, you're better at now than you once were? Hmm. Um, I'm better at now. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny. I, I have, I have an equally hard time with that as I did with, you know, what's my weakness? Um, what am I better at? Uh, I mean, I'm not, 
I don't, I, maybe I just don't think that way. Like, I, I just like, um, I, I, I mean, I think the books, I, I'm, I'm always sort of like, uh, like happy with the book that's coming out, but it, I don't like, uh, I don't feel bad about the books that have come out. I, I'm not one of those writers that's like, ah, I can't even read from that book again. Like I, I can still like look at another bullshit night in sex city and like open it to some page that I haven't like read publicly in a while and be like, damn, that's, okay, that's working. Like, you know, like, yeah. huh, huh. That's like, you know, or, or someone, will, I, I remember I did a reading somewhere and it was like a very working class town. And I, it seemed like I should read like something like, you know, made, makes no sense really. But like, I thought like, oh, I'll read about sports, you know, and I've, I've only written about sports like once. I wrote about the Red Sox like once. And, uh, so I read this piece about the Red Sox, uh, watching the Red Sox, uh, uh, not win the World Series, but go to the World Series, go to the playoffs, uh, uh, watching it with my mother, uh, like in this, when she she was having a very hard time uh, when I was a teenager, and uh, I sort of, I sort of thought it was just about the Red Sox. Then as I was reading, I realized it was all about my mother and like this relationship. It was really hard. I ended up getting really like emotional on stage. I was like, oh, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> like, <laughs> I read this terrible like you know I, I totally like you know forgot that there's this had this other power to it you know these these, these pieces um but what am i doing better now it's like i uh, I, I don't know like i i mean i think there's like you sort of you know it took longer to write the uh, the the first memoir sort of like more like intensely but now i just know i know the steps that i have to go through i have to go through this deep psychological work and i sort of know i can sketch things in and then flesh them out and i can move quickly through through drafts even though this one took me you know five or six years also you know bullshit night took me seven years but i think i, I had to work you know like really harder and really like not have a life almost i had to like uh the uh, you know uh you know, I, I think I went through like three relationships in writing uh, uh, another bullshit night in Suck City. Uh, you know, choose between the the relationship or the or the book, and I had to choose the book. Like you know, and which is brutal. You know, it's a brutal thing. It seems like it seems like a brutality to writing. Mm-hmm. And then, now I think I'm just not as brutal about that. You know, I'm still you know, I, my family and I are still together. You know, so yeah. uh, you know through this. You know, so. And what, Maybe that. what, uh, you know, being, being someone who's so, uh, you know, widely renowned as, uh, as a brilliant memoirist and, uh, and poet, uh, what are, what's are some advice that people come to you frequently, you know, uh, common questions that a lot of aspiring writers, you know, come to you looking for, uh, looking for counsel, if you will. Well, I mean, so, so much, I mean, I teach, I teach, you know, so there's like, there's whole ranges of young writers. I teach from like undergrads to like PhD students. So there's like sort of such a range of like, yeah. you know, I teach like workshops. But, and it could even you know, be like people teaching, like at so. Hippocamp this past summer, you're dealing with a lot of people who are, you know, definitely older than, uh, than college age, but mm-hmm. all sort of wanting to achieve the same kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, I think maybe some, some people get into like the, like publishing questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just don't really know about that. All I can say is like, you know, like it, you know, in my world, at least it's just all about the writing. Like just make the writing as good as possible. Like you can't control your career. You can't control, uh, you know, the publishing thing is hard to control. Like, but just like, 
you know, put as much as you can into the writing and make it so that it's, it, it brings you joy and it like your community of writers, uh, that it brings, it brings them like, you know, some sort of insights or joy also. And then the rest, you know, you hope for the best, you know, like, you know, I've, that just seems like, you know, to be aware of what, what you have control over and what you have control over is the, the care and attention you put into the writing. And the other stuff is you got to like, you got to let it go and let other people do what they do and hope, hope that they're going to do it with integrity, you know, like your, your publisher or your agent or, you know, that it'll find a voice, it'll find a place in the world. And, you know, it's some, some great things don't, it's just like, it's who knows why, you know, like, it, uh, you know, some things that seem mediocre get a lot of attention. Some things that seem great get very little attention. It's like, you know, but hopefully like it'll, if you, sort of done the work it'll uh uh and, and and made it as good as it can be you know like uh it'll uh um uh it'll just sort of level itself out i guess yeah i think uh I, reading your work uh, you your work makes me want to want to work like I, i'm inspired by the way you go about you know the way your books come together i'm like i just want like it excites me to the point where i want to write good passages too. And I suspect that, you know, if you're a filmmaker, you know, you should be watching the movies that make you want to make movies. And so maybe if for writers, mm -hmm. it's like, you need to be reading the stuff that makes you want to pick up the pen and write. And that's, uh, that's mm -hmm. definitely what your work does for me. That's for sure. Well, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I think we're kind of uh, up against our hour and I think your wife wants her headphones back. So, uh, <laughs> so so, but this is the this Corona is, sharing headphones, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so great to, to kind of talk shop here, Nick. And uh, I, you know, been a great admirer of your work, and so happy to have met you over the this past summer. Um, and yeah, and, and stay was such a, a a wonderful collaboration book to to read, and I, I can't wait for the next one to come out. Maybe we can have another conversation again uh, uh, about your next book. Oh, that'd be great, Brendan. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to good to talk. Be safe. Be safe with this uh, whole thing. Yes, you as well, Nick. We did it. We made it, CNFers. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you're subscribing to the show, of course. This crazy show is produced by me, Brendan O'Mara. <laughs> I make the show for you. I hope it made something worth sharing. And if you really dig the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes are at brendanomara.com. Follow the show on the various social media channels at CNFPod across them all. Get that newsletter at my website. Win books, win zines, hang out with your buddy B.O. Once a month, no spam, can't beat it. Are we done here? We must. Because if you can do, interview, see ya!